Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Blue Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet. I'm the CEO of Ocean STL Consulting and former Deputy Administrator of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. I was also the Assistant Secretary of Commerce and before that, the Oceanographer of the Navy. We're a monthly offering by the American Shoreline Podcast Network and brought to you by Coastal News Today. The American Blue Economy podcast brings together leading voices in the ocean, coastal, and Great Lakes-based economies to expand awareness and collaboration, identify positive solutions to address the many challenges to the ocean economy, such as conflicting uses and climate change, and provide thought leadership to boost our post-pandemic national recovery. Today's episode is part two of a three-part sub-series I'm hosting on leading women wave makers in the American blue economy. And I, I borrow this name from the Wave Makers podcast on ASPN hosted by Tamara Khan. And so if you've not listed Tamara's Wave Maker show, check it out. It is a great one. And I did appear on a certain episode, so you always could look for that if you're interested. And we had a great time together. But uh, before we begin, I'd like our listeners to know that our media team at Coastal News Today is looking for sponsors. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, please contact Tyler Buckingham at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com or go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising. So I'm delighted to introduce our guests who are leaders in three of the ocean and weather tech companies that I consult for. First up, we have Maureen Slang. She is the Vice President for North America of the innovative navigation technology company Xblue. Maureen, thanks for being here. Hello, Tim. Thanks for having me. No problem. And we also have Kelly Peters, Senior Content Marketing Manager at the commercial weather company Tomorrow.io. Great to have you here, Kelly. Thanks so much, Tim. Excited to be here. Right on. And we also have Laura Trillis. She is the Senior Program Director at the environmental services company Linker. Laura, thanks for coming here. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for having me today. Yes, and I probably should have said aloha because Laura joins us from Hawaii. Kelly is from, I believe, Boston, and Maureen is in Denver, Colorado. So thank you, everybody, from across the country. And uh, let's just get into it. I want to start with Maureen, who I've known for quite a while. We first met when I was working with uh, her company at NOAA, testing out their uncrewed surface vessel called the Drix on the NOAA ship Thomas Jefferson. So, Maureen, if you just don't mind talking, telling everybody a little bit about the company Xblue and, and what your job is and your role as the vice president for North America. Yeah, sure. Um, happy to. Uh, yeah, I will say a few words about Xblue and our activities uh, in the United States. And today I will focus my speech on our activities linked to the blue economy and with maybe a few words, if you allow me, on our advanced navigation and quantum sensors for space. Um, so Xbo is a global high tech company and we specialize in the design and manufacturing of advanced navigation, maritime and autonomy solution, as well as photonic and space solution. In fact, we provide component and system for complex application, always in an in-stream environment. So we like to say we're working from the depth of the ocean up to outer space. It's kind of a really exciting company to be, uh, to be in. Uh, we're about 700 plus employees and we're spread all over the world 
And um, even if we're a French company, where we have 11 offices outside of France, uh, where we have also support engineers in order to assist our customer 24 hours, seven days a week, uh, which is really important uh, for us. So we have always some Xbox engineers awake somewhere in the world. Uh, so from my side, I'm in charge of the XBlue team for all the civilian and commercial market in North America. And as you mentioned, my main focus is primary and maritime autonomy with our drinks, uh, but also on all our maritime products uh, from advanced subsea and surface navigation, where we use a mix of inertial and acoustic technologies. As you know, also, we have our 3D volume sonar for fish assessment and classification that we tried out last summer with uh, NOAA Fisheries. And we have sub-bottom profilers and we have many more um, maritime products. Yeah, I, in fact, uh, Marine, there's so much you've covered there that I want to totally dig into because everything you do is really blue economy enabling. And in fact, uh, that's why it was so great to reconnect with you after my first meeting with you on the ship NOAA Thomas. No, Noah Ship Thomas Jefferson in 2019. Um, and I wouldn't mind if, if I can going through some of those individually, like the fisheries work and the mapping work, um, and then later the quantum sensing work. It's all just so incredibly cool. But maybe we'll just kind of hold it there as a good intro. Um, and, and then we can maybe definitely talk about some of our trips to the shipyard on the French Riviera. <laughs> That's a must cover. Um, and then, but we'll maybe just bring back to, no, like, let me go with Kelly and get a quick company overview for you, Kelly Peters at tomorrow.io. Absolutely. So tomorrow.io is a weather and climate security company and our technology is weather intelligence. So what that means is that we are empowering individuals, countries, businesses, governments um, across the world with the intelligence that they would need to mitigate the impact of weather. So as we know, you know, thanks to climate change, weather, severe weather is increasing both in severity and um, frequency. So really our, our platform available through both the platform and API is, you know, has never been more important. We work with companies at the enterprise level across all industries who are using us not just to look back at historical real time and forecast, um, weather, but but also for the insights. So that's what really sets us apart, not just saying what's coming up next, um, but how you should take effective action so that you can protect your people, your assets, and also just operate more efficiently. So um, really allowing you to adapt before the weather hits versus a traditional weather forecast. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about your company. I totally, uh, it just stuck with me once I saw it about how other, rather than just throwing, giving you the weather information, it, it these insights you're talking about are, are really recommendations on how to take that information and keep your, yourself safe, like avoid high water at this intersection um, uh, due, to, due to dangerous flooding and just recommendations like that, which are, I think, very powerful and not you don't see in most commercial weather offerings. Or do you see it in the government or the Navy, which I was a part of? So that's why I've been so keen on trying to get the Navy to uh, um, look more closely at what you do. and regarding weather and climate we have had several episodes where we talked about the importance of knowing the environment for blue economy applications like shipping and fishing and recreation and tourism so certainly weather affects all of those in such a major way and i know you have some really significant customers in those areas that i would love to talk about too um, but we'll just keep that overviewed for now and let me move on now to laura trillis with the company linker 
And Laura, how about a quick overview of, of, the, of Linker and your position in the company? Sure. Um, so Linker um, is an environmental services company. Uh, we have kind of an unofficial tagline where we like to say we're safeguarding the sustainable hydrosphere because all of the services that we provide touch uh, water and the planet in some respect or another. Everything from you know, doing water science, whether it's uh, weather related or marine science related. Um, we do quite a bit of oceanographics as well. We do nautical charting. Um, so we do quite an array of services uh, anywhere from Gloucester, Massachusetts, all the way out to Guam and Saipan. And now you've been pushing into the Philippines and Indonesia and all in relation to the environment and how water plays a role in the environment. Um, I would say our biggest client to date is NOAA, who you're really familiar with, <laughs> um, and, and so are we. So um, my position in the company, I'm a senior program director. I was formerly a senior operations director, um, so I'm quite familiar with the portfolio that the, the company has. <laughs> Right, and uh, and what drew me to Linker is that fact that you are Noah's top contractor in terms of number of contracts, and again, like you mentioned, you're in every office, and I loved working with that agency so much. And uh, coming over to you was just such a natural next step uh, in view of the things you mentioned. You're involved with charting and coral reefs and fisheries, all these things that I love and are absolutely valuable to the or essential to the American blue economy. And so you really you couldn't be it couldn't be a better fit for us to be working together. And, and interestingly, I, I know that that, that that was probably the very origins of Linker. Your CEO, Joe Linza, started out supporting, I think, the Office of Coast Survey with the Marine Charting Division. Isn't that correct? That is correct. That is um, how he started the company. Um, he worked as a contractor for NOAA in the Marine Charting Office and then, you know, actually helped to build what's called the chart tile service where they were digitizing all of the nautical charts so that people could pull them up on their tablets and their iPhones and stuff. Well, that is a major blue economy activity, uh, digitizing nautical charts. I remember the day when they were all paper. I navigated off them like that, but I also had a hand in producing nautical charts in the Navy for areas outside the US EEZ. So uh, just a topic near and dear to my heart, which I just love. Uh, but interestingly, there's a great connection now between that work that Linker's still doing and Marine at Ix Blue, because one of her major efforts and why we're working together is this Drix uncrewed surface vessel or autonomous um, boat. And uh, it, what's remarkable about it, well, Marine, why don't you tell us what is unique about this system and why NOAA has decided to purchase two of them already? Yeah, so our Drix, as you say, our uncrewed surface ve vehicle is um, a really unique USV per its form and also per the specification of the gondola. So um, we have outstanding sea keeping and speed capabilities and it's really versatile and efficient USVs that can host a wide range of payloads and that offers optimum condition for high quality data acquisition in both shallow and deep waters and this even up to C state three or C state four. Yeah, and, and from my experience, I've been out there in the ocean and a boat that can collect decent data, uh, uh, International Hydrographic Organization order one is the standard. 
data in sea state four is just, there's nobody else that can do it. I've been on boats in that condition and you just basically have to throw the data out because you just, all the waves affect it. And it's just so remarkable. And that, that's why uh, my former colleague at NOAA, the director of Coast Survey, Admiral Shep Smith said, we want these. And, and then now thus uh, NOAA has two. Um, and uh, it's just remarkable. And Marie and I were together on, on the Thomas Jefferson when we tested the, the, the launch and recovery system of this platform. And um, yeah, and so like this thing is really unique. It, what's the range in terms of days and nautical miles? Do you happen to have those numbers handy? Yeah, so the range is, is up to 10 days at sea. And, you know, it's really depending of your speed. Um, so we're seeing from four days to 10 days and nautical miles. It depends also of the sea states, but it's almost unlimited as long as you refuel the system. Right, right. And th- those numbers are really uh, just superior. What's what's exciting is when I was at NOAA and, and Marie and I had been interacting, uh, I think I've talked about this. I, I started a new program in the 2020 budget for uh, NOAA's Uncrewed Systems Program. Before, it had just been a bunch of hobby shopping. And so, so we made official program with an official office and now two, two official operation centers, the Air Center in Lakeland, Florida, co-located with the Aircraft Center and, and for autonomous aerial vehicles, and then the Maritime System for autonomous maritime systems in Gulfport. And, and then now NOAA's uh, and University of New Hampshire's joint um, Center for Coastal and Ocean Mapping is going to have another center in New Hampshire, which is going to build more of these DRIX platforms. And ultimately, where NOAA is going is they're making their surface ships motherships for drones. And that, that is just the nature of autonomy in the future. It's more efficient at lower carbon emissions, and you can just do much more uh, coverage in terms of survey uh, for the resources you have. It's just brilliant. And what's, what's really neat about this company, X-Blue and NOAA, is we're way ahead of the Navy in doing this, and they're putting hundreds of millions of dollars into autonomous system technology. So it's, it's, it's really just brilliant uh, to see it um, going forward. And and yeah, so Marine, um, I'll get back to you, but let's talk, make sure we talk about the October event at University of New Hampshire, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So we're so pleased that we're going to open our Drix uh, workshop where we're going to made US, US made our first equipment. And it's really for us a big step in the blue economy as we really want to create jobs, you know, in the US. Um, and we're working, you know, in partnership with Seacom, where we have been an industrial partners since day one, since uh, when the Drix story started to happen three years ago. And so we will held a big uh, cutting ribbon ceremony in October with, we hope, you team, of course, and also Dr. Spinrad and uh, other officials from NOAA and the U.S. government. Right. I'm looking forward to that. That's just going to be a great event. And it's interesting, uh, a quick comment about the companies on this program and the women that are helping lead these efforts. Uh, Marine is working with this gentleman, Larry Mayer, who's essentially the foremost authority in the nation, if not the world, on hydrography. And, and it was for that reason, uh, that, uh, with that in mind, he picked the Drix to operate at the University of New Hampshire in partnership with NOAA. This is not just a statement of what a superior hydrographic platform this is, but, but similarly, now going on to Kelly Peters at Tomorrow.io in terms of being basically a, a, a industry standard for commercial weather, 
Uh, I'm working with several advisors that have come on because they were so impressed by your company, Kelly. And I'll, re- I'll remind you. So, so me, me, former no administrator. You also have on your strategic advisory team Kathy Sullivan, another former NOAA administrator. You have, and you have uh, Steve Smith, former NASA astronaut, as well as Marshall Shepard, a leading authority on atmospheric science and former and current host of the Weather Channel's Weather Geeks, which you helped uh, post for me in your senior uh, content marketing manager job, I think. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for the summary. Yeah, we're, we're so lucky, you know, you included with, with everyone who we have advising us. I mean, it's just a fantastic, incredible group of people. So, um, yeah, so happy to always be able to collaborate with all of you. Right. And, and you're, the stories you've been p- putting out there, uh, Kelly, are impressive. And that's why you've been able to attract su- such high level of strategic advisors and supporters. Uh, why don't you share the example from Yellowstone of just this last week? Do you happen to recall that? I do, yeah. So as we've all probably heard, or, or if you haven't, earlier in the month, Yellowstone experienced some really significant flooding as a result of you know, really unforeseen and, and unprecedented rainfall. So rain really quickly flooded as well as rock slides, mudslides. Um, and, and, and looking at it, you know, what they said happened the day of before the floods, before the rainfall, was that the the weather forecast called for minor flooding. So I think it advised maybe move livestock, but didn't mention anything about the impact on people or certainly like businesses in the area. And so Tim, you and I were talking and and, and digging in. And, you know, it's something that really is is well suited for our platform and our solution because we have our flood index, our global flood index, and that can give you you know advanced warning up to forty eight hours in advance. And so that's something that you know. For example, had the the park had that, you know, they wouldn't have just relied on a traditional weather forecast that maybe gave you know minor flooding as an example. Um, this could have given them more of an advanced warning, but not just that. Going back to the insights, like we mentioned, what action they should take to mitigate some of the destruction. Now, of course, you can never prevent this. So we're by no means saying this would have stopped these events from occurring, but it's all about adapting to them and mitigating the risks ideally before they happen, of course. So yeah, I just thought that was a great example that we we were talking about, Tim. So I know Yellowstone National Park isn't exactly associated with the blue economy, but it was to make a point about how important effective weather forecasts are to saving lives in recreation and tourism areas along the coast and the Great Lakes. And an even more important example was Hurricane Ida, which hit the Gulf Coast and then moved up to the New England seaboard. And... Um, caused the loss of many lives uh, in flooding there, which could have been avoided had uh, NOAA used tomorrow.io's flood index. So th- that's a, just a great example of why I think partnering with the private sector really could help us do a lot more in advancing safely uh, the American blue economy. So thank you for that, Kelly. Uh, but going on to Laura Trillis again at Linker, uh, in fact, this is a, there's a neat kind of a synergy here between you all. You all have worked with NOAA. Tomorrow.io, for example, is uh, working on NOAA's Earth Prediction Innovation Center, EPIC. Uh, it's, a, it's a big weather modeling effort within the Weather Service. But w- kind of as an umbrella over that, though, Linker is a lead contractor for the National Weather Service's NSEP, National Centers for Environmental Prediction, which house the modeling center that tomorrow.io is working with. Um, and so I know, Laura, I know you're not uh, working in a weather side of the house. You're mostly an ocean person, but it's, it's an interesting synergy. 
Um, but going, you know, talking about Linker with a big weather portfolio that includes the National Water Center, you know, I have a I, near and dear to my heart is all the ocean related work. And I know you're a scuba diver and you have you've been an echo guide. So can you just expound a bit more on Linker's you know, wet side of work that, that you do with NOAA? Sure. Um, yeah. So we employ quite a number of divers and we do everything from, um, you know, maintenance on the tidal buoys for the co-ops program. Um, we have scientific divers that go out and do surveys. We have folks that are part of the team at Papahanaumokuakea in the Northwestern Hawaiian islands that go up to French frigate shoals and turn Island and they pull marine debris out of the water and they survey all sorts of different marine life, everything from endangered Hawaiian monk seal to shark populations. And, um, you know, I, there's even some endangered, um, fish species and coral species that they make note of during their surveys. And, um, more recently linker even got involved in removing invasive marine macroalgae off the south shore of Oahu, um, which is near and dear to my heart because that's what I did for my graduate research. Ah, I love all that. All that kind of work is near. You know, let's just make an agreement right now that next time I get to Hawaii, I get to go diving with some of the linker divers. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I keep trying to dive with more of the linker divers myself. You know, well, good. It's a deal. We'll both do it. Yeah. Funny when I uh, first came on, I, you might have remembered that. Um, I uh, I had uh, I got with your 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 PR, your media people just like Kelly does for Tomorrow IO, and I got a nice big linker banner, and it happened to coincide with a trip I scheduled to go cage diving with great white sharks off Guadalupe Island to support a marine science nonprofit, and I was able to get a nice picture of uh, the linker banner holding that with a nice great white behind me, uh, thankfully with bars between us. And um, at any rate, uh, for the audience, for what it's worth, uh, today or tomorrow, they'll be showing National Geographic Shark Week is going to be showing our episode. Not sure if we're going to get a linker, you know, plug in there, but uh, you might see one or two of the sharks we saw and, and photo ID'd. Uh, well, that's just terrific, Laura. I love all that work. Um, and your your graduate degree is in what exactly? So I have a master's of science in marine science um, from Hawaii Pacific University. And, um, you know, basically I say I'm, at heart, I'm a coral reef ecologist and an invertebrate biologist. Ah, I, now I saw you also worked in a, in a Hawaii hatchery. Is that right? Yeah, so that kind of played off of what I was doing in grad school. So the state of Hawaii had a big um, mitigation effort for some invasive macroalgae that was brought to Hawaii in the 1970s. And as part of the restoration project, they were breeding a um, native species of sea urchin, um, it's a native collector sea urchin that scientific name for scientists out there is Trinustes gratilla. And um, once the populations of these urchins was pretty abundant in the islands that scientists don't really know why it's become depleted over the years, maybe due to overfishing because locals do like to eat the urchin. Um, but they're the only thing that will preferentially eat that invasive algae. So the state had established an urchin hatchery to breed the urchins so that they could outplant the urchins around the islands. And my graduate work largely looked at 
um, you know, will this help the reef recover? Will it increase biodiversity? Are there any adverse effects on um, coral recruitment, coral settlement to the reefs? And, you know, would it cause some other unexplained or, you know, unexpected phase shift? And luckily we found, at least in the work that I did, that um, all signs pointed good and, and they don't have any adverse effects to the biodiversity of the reef. They help the reef improve. They help the coral to come back and settle and recruit to the reefs and reestablish after the algae has been removed. Oh, that's just such wonderful research. Gosh, you, you all great blue economy topics uh, that I would could just dig into. And we've covered on, on several uh, previous episodes, uh, coral reefs being one of them, which was one of my favorite episodes. It was so much fun. And, um, well, great. Thank you. Interestingly, you know, another connection between our guests here is that uh, Marine at Blue, one of the new endeavors f- for this Drix uncrewed service vessel is to support NOAA fisheries. And uh, uh, Marine, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we've been working with NOAA fisheries in the scope of the development of the wind farm, you know, out of the East Coast which is now a market that is, the growth is exponential and has been really pushed uh, by the Biden administration. And so, you know, as wind farm, you're putting all these pillars not so far from the cost, and you really have no idea on the impact on the fish and how they will survive. All this new equipment are crawling on the floor and being planted on the floor. So, so the idea, and we work with NOAA Fisheries on the East Coast, was uh, to observe and monitor the pelagic ecosystem that is often overshadowed, you know, by the demersal and the benting communities in these areas. And it's become more and more important as the number of wind farms are going to be drastically increased uh, in the coming years. So... Yeah, so we're using, you know, active acoustic technologies, uh, which is named CPIX, and we can survey large areas quickly and efficiently, and we can map uh, spatiotemporally and distribute and estimate the abundance and the biomass. And, and the first results were um, pretty impressive, and uh, right now the NOAA Fisheries will speak on our behalf at several conferences. And we hope to continue the adventure next year as we're discussing on how to put a CPIX this time on the drinks and why not on a boy. So we have a lot of ex- exciting uh, project coming on. Uh, indeed. And this, this CPIX uh, acoustic, um, so- the sonar is just really brilliant. The vol- it's a volume search sonar that is really effective in monitoring uh, and estimating, as, as Marine said, the biomass and distribution of, of, spe- of fish. And uh, again, I, and I know the American Shoreline Podcast Network has several episodes that have been dedicated to this uh, work to coordinate and kind of co-manage uh, wind farm development and fisheries, which is not easy right now. <laughs> and, so, and, and what we know the secret to this is, is data. Is, is really understanding the impact of these structures on fish and, and how we can keep continually monitor fish stocks and ensure that, that we can manage them well with this change in their environment. And so love to see ocean technology like Ixblue's Drix and the CPIC sonar come into play. And uh, yeah, it's just brilliant. And in fact, that, that leads me to you know, more technology developments to advance the, the 
blue economy. Another great example is with Kelly Peters company, Tomorrow.io, who are building a constellation of really innovative satellites uh, in LEO orbit uh, to get at precipitation, which there is, there's a big gap in right now. And Kelly, is there any more you want to share about this uh, constellation, like when you're going to begin launching the satellites and what it'll do? Yeah, absolutely. As, as you guys were talking, Maureen, you were, you were mentioning, I was thinking the same thing. So yeah, perfect transition here, talking about data. As you said, it's a, a constellation of really a first of its kind commercial satellite. So it'll be equipped with both microwave sounders and radars. And what that will provide is, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that still 5 million people are living without global radar coverage right now and have no access to a weather forecast. And of course, that would be the data you know, coming from this is not only valuable at the enterprise level for businesses, but also for those countries and the communities who are without, without data um, and coverage right now. So our satellite constellation, to your point, Tim, will provide really near real-time global atmospheric data um, around precipitation with roughly hourly revisit rates. So it's really exciting. We'll provide it data as a service ultimately, um, and it'll also be brought into our, our platform and available through our API. Um, we don't have a confirmed launch date right now to share, but just can't say how exciting it is to be part of a, a company with this level of innovation. You know, I'm getting to tell stories about um, this really exciting weather intelligence technology already, but also, um, you know, work on something just incredible, truly first of its kind constellation. So um, yeah, please stay tuned and, and visit our website. Uh, we're really excited about it. Yeah. I, that, when I saw your plans, I said, that's it. You, you know, and you said, how many people are not covered by weather radar right now on the planet? Yeah. 5 million people. 5 million is some more net, isn't it? So I'm sorry. I said million. 5 billion people. I'm so sorry. 5 billion, <laughs> 5 billion yes. people. Just a little bit more. Yes. Exponentially more. 5 billion people. Yeah. Exactly. This is a real significant safety issue because that's what kills the most people and causes the most damage is flooding. And so getting this better handle on precipitation is just going to be game changing for saving lives, protecting property, and, uh, and, and a number of other things, uh, like, for example, just modeling ocean circulation and storm surge and hurricanes. The, this, this constellation will have two types, uh, the satellites will have two types of sensors, a microwave sounder and a radar altimeter. And both are essential for precipitation, but also monitoring sea surface characteristics like currents. It's, I could go on, I could spend a whole episode nerding out <laughs> on this. Uh, but, and so I'm really excited about that technology really benefiting people. And NOAA has entered a cooperative research and development agreement, CRADA, with Tomorrow.io to better un understand how to take that data and put it into or assimilate weather models and make weather models better. So really good work here. Um, thanks for that, Kelly. Absolutely. And, and then a, you bet. Yeah. And and what's great too, so going on to, to Laura, I, I, I love that your company is also innovating in a number of ways. I mean, like I mentioned, all the different offices you work in, um, you're also working in, in an er several areas in this um, area called omics or eDNA, as well as autonomous systems. Well, what if I had, if you had to want to give an example of some technology, or, or like it could be uh, your your use of AI for uh, climate change risk assessment. Uh, what what just one example might you want to highlight, Laura, for what technology going on at Linker? Yeah, I mean, one that I'm really familiar with is um, we have a marine robotics engineer that's on our team out here in Hawaii that's working on an underwater um, 
modular optical system that NOAA deploys, um, and Linker actually now deploys it as well as part of our bottom fish surveys that we conduct on on behalf of and in partnership with NOAA out in the Pacific Islands um, to survey the fisheries. Um, and then, yeah, we've, we've done some work off the California coast and some in Hawaii as well that use uh, camera images and then use AI and machine learning to identify fish species so that we can capture more data and process it quicker so that people can make, you know, scientists and the policymakers can can make management decisions that much faster and can get the data out to the public and to the scientists faster um, than what we would do using older methods where humans were having to analyze and collect all the data themselves. Well, yes, that whole, I think you worked with NVIDIA and this machine learning uh, capability to better characterize the distributions and abundance of, of bottom fish. It was just brilliant. It's one of the things that inspired me to lead NOAA's uh, artificial intelligence strategy because uh, we were working with Linker as a partner and I saw that great machine learning application. I thought we need to do more of that across every fishery science center and, and really every office. And that's what led to thus that strategy, uh, a NOAA AI strategic plan. And actually we even established through legislation a NOAA Center for Artificial Intelligence that uh, I know at least you're partnering with in some way with that effort. Uh, just brilliant. Thank you. Uh, I, could, I could go on, I mean, but we'll, we'll we'll pause there. Well, actually, first, let me let me ask Maureen Slingay at Xblue, maybe just one more cool example of technology, because I, I think it's just brilliant. And that is uh, Xblue's use of quantum um, technology uh, for, I believe, Gra gravity sensors is, is can you can you just quickly cover what you're doing with those for navigation yeah sure um happy to so you know that we have about 30 years of inertial navigation experience in this kind of standard market like say and we've been working in the space industry for the past 20 years and we've been on board you know 25 satellites and we have a flight time over 2 million hours um, and so we believe that quantum and space are the next frontiers. And we're really known for high precision, top of the line instrument and quantum optics will deliver much higher accuracy. And the benefit of quantum technology has been demonstrated and our goal is to make a reliable and compact instrument. So we have invested substantially in the development of quantum optic based sensing solution and yes, we offer very high precision quantum-based instruments that, such as the gravimeters and the atomic clock. And um, in fact, the centerpiece of our instrument is a reliable and high-performance laser system that we develop for call atom manipulation and which is integrated or unique components. And, and we're proud to be the first company in the world to use laser cool quantum manipulation technique um, on an industrial scale and also with a path to space deployment. So indeed space is where we want to go with our quantum dreams and sensors. And we really believe that uh, free space optical communication is a future for space. So is quantum communication and sensing and uh, we want to be there. So the future is really exciting. I'll say it is, golly. I, 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 that, so let me make sure I captured it correctly. Laser cooling of atoms, correct? Yeah, correct. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm really familiar with that technology, believe it or not, because I worked at the Naval Observatory and we had one of the most advanced atomic clock systems on the planet. And, and we used laser cooling of atoms and trapping them basically to almost absolute zero uh, in terms of their temperature and motion. Very cool stuff. Wow. No, and this company, Xblue, is using it operationally as quantum and quantum technology um, for navigation purposes. And just brilliant. And I love I love that. And here you are, Marine, uh, a senior leader, a vice president in the company, um, helping move this technology forward, which I think is really critical to the American blue economy because we have international partnerships we depend on. Uh, you know, the Navy and France and the UK, for example, their navies all signed an agreement about two years ago to advance their technology development together. And that's why I was so keen to join Xblue, a French company, because of that overarching partnership is so critical. We'll pause here as excited I get about technology, but there's other territory we want to cover. And I, I want to stick with you, Marine, um, because I, I've just been impressed by the arc of your career. Uh, most of your time has been at Xblue, and you've risen to this very senior position. You're leading extraordinary technology applications and um, and acquisitions with U.S. government offices. And I know from my experience working in this area of navigation and technology that it's pretty much traditionally been a male-dominated field. And, um, and here you are, uh, just a, a superior leader and, and role model for other women wave makers in the American blue economy. And... Uh, would you mind reflecting a little bit on your journey? Has it has it been a challenge, or has it have you had any obstacles? Um, share thoughts with it. I know a lot of people listening right now really want to hear this. Um, yeah, sure. Um, thanks for the question, Tim. So I guess I will have to thank my mom, <laughs> who raised me the way I am. So my mom was a applied physics teacher, and my and my dad a math teacher. So let's say first that I grew up in a scientist and really Cartesian environment. Um, all my kiddos' questions were answered in a really math or applied physics approach. Um, so science ran into my DNA. And for sure, uh, in my studies, you know, I studied like uh, electronics and uh, process automation control. So I was one of really, really few women in high school and college uh, in this position. But I guess the uh, education I got from my science parents were, you know, science is almost everything and can explain a lot of things in this world. And also that uh, you need to um, be independent and think by yourself. So it gave me kind of a strong character, let's say, or mindset on how to evolve in this, um, let's say, male environment. So I will say education and environment is a really important point for all the little girls that wants to go toward, you know, science field and STEM field. Um, but I think also another important point is how we feel, you know, the confidence gap that we can see between women and men. Um, in the companies, nowadays, um, most of the women, they hold themselves back. And often they believe that they are good enough. When changes are, they are way better than the guy. And I think we need to change this mindset. We need to say, I can and I will, you know, in meetings and not uh, I should or I could. And 
we need to take some risk and be proactive and assume uh, the outcome of it. I love that. That's so that's so good of you to say. And I, our listeners probably know I have three daughters, so this is near and dear to me. And th- thank you, Maureen, for those words of confidence. You're absolutely right about that. And uh, you're you're just proof positive of it. Um, ter- terrific. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, Kelly, uh, on to you and tomorrow I.O., I also know that meteorology, and I know your, your content marketing, but meteorology in general has been vastly dominated by, by men. In fact, you go to the Weather Service, National Weather Service, and, and that's just been a real problem, a challenge for them, let me say that, that, that uh, just getting more women integrated into the workforce. And we made progress over the last few years, but there needs to be more. I was very thrilled when I was with NOAA to be a real champion for this, the 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 meteorologists in charge that were women and getting more of those leaders, women into those leadership roles. But um, I know you've been with the company only a short while, um, but tell me your thoughts and what you see as the environment moving forward, um, certainly for younger women in this area of commercial weather and, and just technology in general. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started my career in in media and journalism and I would say coming into tech, um, I did notice it, it was somewhat somewhat jarring, to be honest. Initially, I'd worked with a number of women in my past roles, and, and it was you know primarily male dominated in the organizations I was coming into. So, I think at first, um, Maureen speaking to the the confidence gap that was big for me. You know, an imposter syndrome is real, and and coming into to tomorrow, I O as well. I mean, um, I don't have a background in meteorology, so you know, at times that kind of adds to it as well. I I come from the brand storytelling side, and so um, yeah, it, it can be intimidating, admittedly. But but what I see is that there are so many other women who are not just on the science side of it, but at Tomorrow IO, um, we actually have a, a female networking program, and you're matched up with someone who, you know, if nothing else, they're just giving you confidence and validating, you know, decisions that I'm making or, or questions maybe I have about the science side of it. You know, meteorology. I'm, I'm working with, you know, maybe a male meteorologist or something. Just an example. Um, just having that, knowing that that there are other women out there um, in this field, not just tech, but in the sciences and, and in meteorology specifically, and being able to connect with them. That has just been huge for me, and they're they're so um, welcoming and wanting to connect. So I think though it is male dominated, um, there's women every day more more coming through STEM programs, and they're so willing to connect that um, I've really found um, you know a lot of validation and confidence through those networks. And I'd recommend anyone coming into tech or the sciences to do the same. Um, you know, seek out fellow fellow women leaders, and um, also of course supportive men. I can't say enough about all of my male colleagues at tomorrow also, but um, there's nothing like having, you know, a, a female confidant who, who understands you um, and is able to connect with you. It's really a bit huge. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly. So let's let me, let me go back quickly to something you said. So at tomorrow IO, you have like a, a, a mentoring program for women. What'd you call it? That's right. Yeah. We have, um, you know, the, I guess official name is escaping me, but yeah, it is like a female networking program. And so I'm a, a mentee right now and I'm paired up with actually our CEO, Leah Kemet and COO. And yeah, we just, you know, kind of meet and talk through it. It's really a fantastic program. And so maybe more than the individual level at the organizational level, I, I can't say enough about the impact that that has already had. And it's just been a really valuable resource. 
that's a great example. Gosh, I, I love, I love to see more of that. I'm so glad you could highlight it. What a, that's just terrific. It reminds me of an effort, uh, uh, similar in the weather, national weather service I saw. Um, and it was by a meteorologist in charge, I think in Monterey and she had done, she'd been involved previously. It was called glow girls love <laughs> weather. And, and, uh, she, she actually gave me, gave me a t-shirt with uh, their, their little brand name with looks it's really kind of neat with a cloud symbol. And my, my daughter, my middle daughter still wears it. And I just loved it. I love that idea of being a champion for, for women in STEM. Um, and yeah, that's just a great example. Um, and well, and, and Laura, um, going into Linker, I was, I've always been impressed by your company's corporate culture. And I never really felt, at least for the few, the short time I've been with you, that, um, that there were at least obstacles currently but, but you've been in this field in different areas, um, certainly in the uh, kind of ocean and environmental space for some time. Um, have you had any obstacles in your journeys? And what message might you want to give other aspiring women wave makers? Yeah. So I've actually been in the government contracting space longer than I've been in the marine blue economy space. Um, so the first degree I had was in business. And then I focused in on marine science a few years later. But um, you know, I think, I think you're totally right. Like a lot of people think of government contractors in a certain way and Linker does not fit the classical mold of a government contractor. Um, we're kind of a hybrid between a government contractor and an environmental services company, but Linker does a really great job of promoting a teamwork culture. And, you know, the name Linker itself came from wanting to make connections and discover synergies and connect people working in one arena with other people working who can help out and collaborate. And so that's one of the things I've really enjoyed with working at Linker is the collaboration, the treating every employee, you know, equitable and everybody knows their worth and is celebrated for it and for their contributions. And so the culture at Linker has been by far the best of any company that I've worked for in my career. And similar to, to Kelly's company, you know, Linker has a, a mentor mentee sort of leadership thing going on. And we haven't done this on purpose, but it just so happens that more than 50% of our higher management happens to be women. Um, Linker likes to, you know, identify young, enthusiastic workers who want to go after something and then empower them and use a model of servant leadership um, so that people can go after their own things. And when I was the operations director for our Moxie West division, which is our Marine Ocean Coastal Sciences group, that's exactly what I did is I let all of my project managers and program managers kind of tell me what they wanted to do and the projects they wanted to work on. And I let them build it from the ground up. And they're so passionate about it that we found that that was a much more successful business model than trying to tell people what they ought to be doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Uh, thank you, Laura. And, and uh, all three of you are just tremendous role models. And uh, I think we have, you know, as a, as a, a, a field, this ocean and weather and blue economy field or, or community, a lot to look up to uh, and look forward to with leaders like you all. Uh, so thank you. Uh, we're about at the end, unfortunately, as much as I've enjoyed your company and your contributions. Uh, but so just um, before we close, if I could ask you all for final thoughts, and let me begin with Maureen Slang, the Vice President 
for North America of the navigation technology company, Xblue. Marine. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tim. So my final thought would be for all the little girl that will be listening uh, to this podcast. And thanks, Tim, uh, for making it happen. Um, so I will say first, uh, be flexible and courageous and be bold and not let anyone intimidate you. And uh, for sure, be a risk taker, but make sure to understand how to, miti- how to mitigate them and have a plan B, C, or D. And most important, you know, learn from your mistake. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's the lesson learned that make them, you know, a great adventure. God, what a great message. That, Maureen, you couldn't have said it better. Uh, thanks for being on this show. You were just perfect. Uh, wonderful and well said. Now, Kelly Peters, the Senior Content Marketing Manager at Tomorrow.io, a commercial weather company. Any final thoughts for this uh, episode, please? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. And like Marine said, just putting this conversation together. Um, I think it's just an exciting time to be yeah, part of you know the blue economy and also tech and, and be a woman amid all of it. So I guess um, going with the theme of you know advice to um, you know, other women wave makers, I would say, like, to echo Maureen, you said it so well, just be bold. Um, don't be scared to take risks. And um, whether it be going into a new industry, a new sector of, of tech, or um, just trying out something new in your current role, um, you know, yeah, take that leap. And if you need help, ask for help. And, and whether that be another female colleague or male colleague, um, you know, you're worth it and know you're worth also. And so, yeah, take the leap. It's a, it's a fun place to be. It's exciting. And uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me or I'm sure any of us, please do. Please don't hesitate. That's great. That's so good, Kelly. Thank you. Uh, good advice. And lastly, certainly not least, uh, Laura Trillis, Senior Program Director at the Environmental Services Company Linker. Any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah. My, the only thing I'll add on to the Be Bold is to speak up. You know, there's so many times where I'll have um, a female manager who says, you know, I was thinking we should have done this, but I just didn't want to interrupt the meeting or, you know, whatever. And their ideas are really good. So, you know, don't be afraid. That's part of being bold. Speak up, share your ideas. It's the teamwork that makes the dream work to be really corny for you. (laughs) Absolutely. Speak up and work as a team. That's great. That's great, Laura. All perfect. Um, Thank you all so much, everyone. Uh, This was such an enjoyable show. In our latest episode of the American Blue Economy podcast, where we looked at three leading women wave makers in the American Blue Economy. I want to thank our sponsors at the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. Remember, if you'd like to sponsor a future show on Coastal News Today, contact Tyler Buckingham at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com. Or also, you can go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising. Please join us for our August episode, which will be the third in our three-part sub-series looking at leading women wavemakers in the American blue economy. I'm sure it'll be just as fun as this last one and the one before it. This is your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, CEO of Ocean STL Consulting. Thank you for joining us, shipmates. I look forward to getting underway with you next time. Bye.